0: A thing that looks like a police box, standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time. Avon, Colton
1: Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems.
0: There is a corridor, and the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display,
1: I eventually had to go down to the cellar, that's the display department, with a torch. The lights were probably gone, so had the stairs. Yours is number six. I am not
0: a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 397. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television. And this time we are talking about Alice Through the Looking Glass. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello.
1: Yes, we are back in the world, the fantastical worlds of Lewis Carroll. This is a 1973 BBC adaptation of his book, Through the Looking Glass. It ran for about 75 minutes, I think, in colour... And it's a very faithful adaptation from the BBC. Much more faithful, perhaps, to the book than our last Lewis Carroll, Bryant.
0: Yes, I think it's a little bit shorter. It's a little more than an hour. Right. So the setup for this, young Alice is playing by herself with her kitten when she starts to wonder about the world through the looking glass that's through the mirror that sits above the fireplace. And when she presses against that mirror, something strange happens. And she finds herself through and onto the other side in this fantastical world where everyday objects come to life. Yes, and straight away
1: we're into Lewis Carroll's fantasy worlds where she will meet a variety of strange characters. And of course, if you know the original book, you'll know that she's going to find herself basically in a big chess game, and that many of the characters she'll meet seem to be based on chess pieces.
0: Yes, and of course, the novel Through the Looking Glass was the sequel to Alice's adventures in Wonderland. And in this case, this television version is an adaptation of that novel, but it isn't a sequel to any particular other adaptation. No, we will talk a little bit about that more in a moment. But we've mentioned
1: strange characters, let's talk about our main characters. And let's start, of course, with Alice herself, Played here by the 11-year-old Sarah Sutton, eight years before she would go on to become Nyssa, uh, companion to both the Fourth and Fifth Doctors, I believe, Brian.
0: Mostly the Fifth Doctor, but yes.
1: Here she is as Alice, a sort of traditional Victorian child wearing the very familiar pinafore dress that we associate with Alice, although not in blue this time. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment as well. And the young Sarah Sutton has to do quite a lot of the narration. She does a lot of thinking aloud... Quite a lot put on her young acting shoulders, I think, Brian.
0: Yes, and with any adaptation of the, either of the Alice books, this is always a big issue, is that for it to work well, you want quite a young actor in that role, but it's a lot for an actor to do. You know, it's a lot for a young actor to pull off because there's a lot resting on that part.
1: There is, yes.
0: The Red Queen was played by Judy Parfitt, who has had a long career and is still active in shows like Call the Midwife. She is the imperious Red Queen from the chess set, and she instructs Alice on how fast she has to run to keep in the same place, and all of these things. She's quite pivotal to the story, of course. And if you have a Red Queen,
1: you're going to have a White Queen from the chess set, here played by the famous actor Brenda Bruce. Uh, possibly most known for her film role in peeping tom but we saw her as the old lady who was rather a recluse with lots of dogs in the house in the rabies show the mad death that we talked about some time ago that was quite a memorable performance she gave in that yes indeed here she is as a somewhat distracted and absent-minded white queen who if you know the source material will transform into a sort of sheep shopkeeper character and that's what she does in this production as well
0: yes absolutely the white knight played by jeffrey balden maybe best known for cat weasel we saw him as the crow man and wurzel gummage he was a possibility he could have been the first doctor in doctor who and did play the doctor in a couple of doctor who unbound audios for big finish well we have him here as the light knight being quite confused and flustered and giving us quite an interesting performance
1: and always great to see jeffrey Beld, and he's just fantastic on screen whenever we see him isn't he yes
0: Playing old men since he was about twenty or something, yes, one of those
1: actors who always played old, uh yeah, remarkable and in the rest of the cast, I'll pick out a num i mean there's a number of great people, but I'll pick out a couple of names. keep your eyes out for Freddie Jones, uh who we know from the Children of the Stones, but of course had a huge career. He is Humpty Dumpty. And Stephen Moore, who is the voice of Marvin the Paranoid Android in the TV version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy – You will see him as Hager, who is basically the March Hare from Alice in Wonderland. But we'll talk about the transformation of those characters perhaps a little bit later.
0: Yes, absolutely. And Stephen Moore was Marvin the Paranoid Android on the radio version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well as the television version. All right, yes.
1: So onwards into the chess game. Alice encounters the Red Queen. She realizes that the world she's in through the looking glass is rather like a chessboard with fields set out like squares on the chessboard... And she must progress from being a pawn to the eighth row or the eighth rank and become a queen herself. That seems to be the goal that she has through the looking glass.
0: But of course, there are lots of fantastical characters to meet along the way, all very much in the Lewis Carroll style with a talking gnat and Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Humpty Dumpty and
1: others. Indeed, yes. Some of Carroll's famous creations and some of his famous nonsense poetry, if I can refer to it like that, Brian, particularly thinking of the classic Jabberwocky but also the walrus and the carpenter. And there's a few other pieces that we will get read out to us or performed to us in this version of Through the Looking Glass.
0: Yes, they clearly wanted to keep the poetry of it as as part of it. And I thought that was nice. I thought that worked pretty well. So it's
1: production notes time. And we have quite recently discussed Lewis Carroll, in some detail in episode 389 when we covered Jonathan Miller's 1966 version of Alice in Wonderland now the book Through the Looking Glass was published at the end of December 1871 although I see it often gets credited as appearing in 1872. That was about six years after Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And I'll just make my same literary note as I did last time, that it's strange that the titles of the work seem to have changed in the public mind space since their original publication. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland Has become Alice in Wonderland and the book Through the Looking Glass has become Alice Through the Looking Glass. But there you go, that's just how we I guess how we remember them and how they've tended to be referred to since.
0: That may be because of some of the adaptations like the Disney version and so on. Yeah, I think so. Lewis Carroll included lots of details about things being flipped into mirror image in this looking glass world, and a great deal of about chess and of course is fascination with mathematics and language and nonsense poetry and flipping things around with literal meanings of phrases and so on and it seems that Through the Looking Glass was even more successful than Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and its success prompted a lot of people to go back and discover the first book when they were new when they were originally published. I quite like the idea that
1: this later book Book is perhaps responsible for the you know the popularity of Alice in Wonderland itself.
0: Yes, it's the first one. That's sort of the more iconic one that we usually think about. But yeah, it's interesting to know that the second one was so popular and bringing people to the first one. Through the Looking Glass was, like the first book, illustrated by John Tenniel, and included that now famous image of the Jabberwock monster. Yes, a very famous image. And of
1: course, the wonderful Tenniel illustrations. We'll talk a little bit more about them next time. And of course, like the earlier book, uh, Through the Looking Glass has been adapted many, many times for theatre, for opera, for radio, for television and for film. It was also, it's the inspiration for the 1977 film by Terry Gilliam, Jabberwocky, which starred Michael Palin. That took the poem, Jabberwocky, and made that into a film film. But for this production, we are going to turn to a producer that we've heard of before, Rosemary Hill, quite a well-known television producer, probably best known to us for working on A Ghost Story for Christmas with Lawrence Gordon-Clark. But here she is in 1973, suggesting to the BBC that they do an adaptation of one of Lewis Carroll's books.
0: And apparently there had been a British film version of Alice in Wonderland in 1972 that was quite successful and quite popular at the time. And because it was so much in people's minds, she proposed concentrating on Through the Looking Glass instead of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And James McTaggart wrote and directed the production. He had a short but quite successful and illustrious career. He helped to create the Wednesday Play series for the BBC with Sidney Newman. Sidney Newman known for creating Doctor Who, of course. McTaggart sadly died of a heart attack at age 46 in 1974 while working on a TV version of Robinson Crusoe. He actually has an annual lecture at the Edinburgh Film Festival named after him. But yeah, this was one of the things he worked on directing this adaptation. Quite a notable figure, it seems, in his
1: short career. And the Wednesday Play series would eventually change into, I believe, Play for Today, Brian. So, you know, that's where it came from. And he's credited, as you say, with Sidney Newman has been right at the start of
0: it. Yeah, that's a very, you know, very long running and considered... Very important series for sure. So, for the costumes and the look of this Alice through the Looking Glass, the costumes
1: were designed by Mary Woods, and she based them very closely on those John Tenniel illustrations. And you'll see that when you look at the costumes, and also the sort of this time we do have anthropomorphic creatures such as the sheep, the lion, and the unicorn. Different to last time. And, of course, they've also done quite a lot of CSO or chroma key shooting so that the characters are sort of projected onto painted backdrops. Or, in the case of Humpty Dumpty, you see Freddie Jones's face superimposed onto a large Humpty Dumpty sort of costume. We'll talk a little bit about the success of that technique next time. But it's interesting how much of this is on sort of painted backdrops that are not really there for the actors, if that makes sense, Brian.
0: Yes, the BBC is maybe the only organization that actually uses the term CSO or color separation overlay. But yes, it's the same as chroma key or blue screen effects, where... You uh, film on a blue screen and replace the background in post-production. And in fact, a huge part of this production, maybe most of it, is filmed in blue screen and gives you, you know, sort of illustrations as backgrounds, which sort of leans into that fantastical feeling. Interesting stuff. The music was composed by Herbert Chappell, who also did the 1977 A Christmas Carol, which we've discussed, and the music for the horror anthology series Dead of Night, which we've talked about too. And he did some interesting things with the music here too. Yeah,
1: it's it's quite good actually. I enjoyed the music notes throughout this. I mean, it's not quite... The same as having Ravi Shankar for Jonathan Miller, but it is, I think, you know, it works very well.
0: Well, no, it isn't. but. I also thought it worked very well. Yeah. It helped propel things along quite well. Alice Through the Looking Glass was broadcast on BBC Two at 9.15pm on December 25th of 1973, Christmas Day. Which seems an odd time slot for it, Brian, that
1: late on Christmas Day.
0: Yes, for a children's programme, it certainly does. Yeah,
1: and as far as I can tell, it wasn't repeated. I've looked at the BBC genome and they have changed how that website works and doesn't seem to have broadcast dates on it anymore unless I'm misunderstanding the website. So I'm not sure if this was repeated but it was nominated for a BAFTA in 1974. It didn't win the BAFTA, but it was nominated for Best TV Film, I think.
0: Yeah, so it did certainly have some appreciation at the time, which is good. So
1: that's what we know about the production of it. Let's talk about availability. In Region 2, I'm afraid it's also strange and topsy-turvy because... The Region 2 DVD appears to be deleted and no longer available, so you're looking at a Region 1 import DVD, which is currently at about £17. As far as I can tell, there's no extras on that either. It's just this one hour and a bit of this TV version. That's right, it has no extras. Right. Interestingly, they have recoloured Alice's dress on the front cover image to show Sarah Sutton wearing a blue dress. Now, I've read online that this may have been because the BBC, at the same time as they released the DVD, also released their 1986 version of Alice in Wonderland, which had the Alice, by a different actor, wearing a blue dress on the front cover. And so they might have wanted a certain amount of comparison or crossover between the two possibly to suggest they were linked
0: i'm told those two productions do actually sit together quite well although they were done completely independently in their respective eras interesting because we haven't looked at the 1986 version
1: yet but may well do in the future the other note i got from the internet was that sarah sutton has been asked about this at conventions and has said that the reason she wasn't wearing a blue dress in the 1973 production was because of the chroma key blue screen filming and of course you can see immediately brian
0: that that wouldn't work would it yes there are a few different colors you can use for chroma key effects and blue is certainly one of the the common ones and yeah whatever. You- you choose that ends up being an issue there was a similar thing on doctor who where the unit soldiers could not wear the blue un berets until much later ah interesting uh, the, the the technical difficulties
1: of doing this chroma key shooting i should mention that i cannot find alice through the looking glass streaming anywhere over here at the moment in the uk and strangely when we turn across to north america it becomes does it become a slightly
0: easier brian well it's the same region one dvd release of course which is currently eleven dollars on amazon.com and nineteen dollars on amazon.ca so especially in the U.S., it's a little cheaper than it is in the U.K., and again, I did not find any streaming availability for this, but there's a nice low price at $11 U.S. for it on DVD, Okay. and the original novel, of course, is widely available in the public domain and still in print. I will also note, I didn't note when we covered Alice in Wonderland, but I will this time, there is a book called The Annotated Alice, which includes Alice's adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass with the original John Tenniel illustrations. And it has been annotated by Martin Gardner. And it is full of things about the references that are no longer easy to pick up on that were easier at the time and about speculative things about where uh, some of the influences may have come from and so on. So that is also available in a couple of different editions and it is also a very interesting piece of work. Fascinating stuff. So next time we're going to come back, we're going to talk a little
1: bit more about Alice's encounters through The Looking Glass We'll talk a little bit about the chess game and the setting. And we'll also perhaps come back to that old familiar question about how faithful we like our TV adaptations of the classics.
0: Yes, for sure. And of course, we will have our reviews and our own thoughts and our recommendations as well. Until then, you can find us at britishinvaders.com or search for British Invaders on Facebook, where you can find our group there and join in on the discussion. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are at BritInvadersPod. And British Invaders is a proud member of the Voice of Geeks Network.
1: Find us there at vognetwork.com, where you'll also find lots of other stuff to uh, amuse and entertain you, particularly if you're into gaming. Lots of streaming and discussions about computer games there.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, thank you very much. Until next time, Eamon in England also signing off.